Well, good morning. How's everybody today? Had plenty to eat this week, I hope. Yes, a couple of you or some are still recovering. I'm not sure. Still feeling good. All right. We're glad you're here and uh, we're thankful to Kevin and Mike for being here leading us in worship today. And y'all say thank you to them for being with us. All right. Uh, They traveled up from Decatur. And uh, have, if you, you may recognize them, they've been here before. Uh, last time was a little over a year ago. And uh, they've actually been here a few times. Is this your third time leading worship? Third, think so? You've been a lot here a lot more, but yeah. But uh, this is the third time they've led worship for us. Richard and Wendy are on a cruise celebrating their anniversary. So we can think bad thoughts about them. And... Uh, and <clears throat> but we're thankful that they came to be with us, and uh, you may not recognize Mike. Mike, how much weight have you lost in the last year? 200 pounds in the last year. So uh, he's worked hard, and uh, but we're so thankful. You know, did such a wonderful job. They are uh, not just uh, musicians, but they are also starting a church. They're about to move from Decatur to, where are you going again? Madisonville. and <laughs> Madison, okay. Uh, just Madison which is about half an hour away, I guess. And uh, so they're working on a, a, what's called the Journey Project, right? Is that? Okay, I'm just get all my details straight. Thank you for being here. For all of you who have given for our Christmas project, thank you for doing that. We're about halfway to our goal, and uh, many of you brought those gifts today. Uh, we want to continue to follow through with this well. We have set the deadline for December 13th. That is in two weeks, because that gives us enough time to make sure everything's dispersed. Um, enough time before Christmas. So there are some tags out there. Grab those. Bring those back next week. If you want to write a check or you want to give cash, please make sure you have somehow designated that. And uh, if you want, want to give cash, put it in an envelope that's out here in the lobby, right on it, Christmas Project. If you write a check, write it in the memo line. Some way, let us know that that's what it's for. And uh, we just are so thankful for your generosity and for all that you're doing. If you're in Kidmo, we're going to go ahead and let you guys go and head back uh, to Kidmo. All right, and uh, if you are our guest and you're interested in getting to know some of the staff and hearing a little bit more about Journey, please be sure and sign up. That's next week. If nobody signs up, we're not going to do it, which is perfectly fine. But uh, we want to give you an opportunity to get to know some of the staff and kind of what, what we're about, who we are, why we're here, and where we hope to go. So <clears throat> as we're starting a new series, it is the Christmas season. I'm a little hyped up on meds. Uh, the change in weather has taken its toll. I don't know if it's done that for anybody else. Um, so I'm going to try to coherently communicate what I think is an incredibly important lesson through the Christmas story. For a lot of us, story is a huge part of our lives. Uh, we think back through our stories. Uh, we may have photo albums to be able to tell our individual stories. Uh, we love stories, whether we read them, whether we watch them on TV Whether we have DVDs we plug in or on Netflix, we love stories. In fact, much of our lives are about telling or hearing about someone else's story. Story is so vastly important in all of our existence. And ultimately, you and I have to choose the story that we are going to live within. Of all the options that you have, of all the stories that are out there being told... They are being championed by people who absolutely believe that their story is the most important story to be told. When we look at commercials, at marketing, 
When we watch the news, you recognize that every news channel is trying to, t- to tell or sell a story. And the way that they put the news together and the way that they focus on different elements of the news. They have a story. There's a reason that you hear right now in all of the political debates and campaigns this word that keeps popping up from every side of the spectrum. The word is narrative. Have you heard them use that word over and over again? Because they understand that story is hugely important. (coughs) Excuse me. Generally, (coughs) at this time of year, we begin (coughs) talking and thinking about what does it look like to be thankful, right? How many of you were thankful for this weekend? Thankful for time with some family or friends? Maybe you were thankful for Crystal. I don't know if Crystal was open on Thanksgiving. If it was, they're worthy to be visited on, on Thanksgiving, I think. We love Crystals in our family. And one of the stories that is so compelling and that is being told so ferociously around Thanksgiving is not the story of being thankful, but it's the story of getting, right? Watch this, uh, this commercial that's just come out by Verizon. See if you notice anything. Did you notice it? Happy Thanksgiving. Did you notice it? Happy Thanksgiving. You see, there's a story that is overshadowing the real story of Christmas, and that story is that you need more stuff. You need more stuff. You, you deserve more stuff. You are owed more stuff. But what I want to do is I want us to think through the Christmas story a little differently this year. And we're going to look at four different characters of the Christmas story in a way that you've probably never looked at them before. Because in the Christmas story, not only is there a great gift that has been given, not only is it something that we can be thankful for, but also it is a story of great sacrifice for a great number of of people. So if you brought your Bibles, you can open those up. We're going to be in the book of Matthew most of this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on version, and uh, you can follow through our notes and the different scriptures that we have there. As we begin this, I want you to know that as Christians, we often focus on what we are getting because of Jesus. That is a good thing. We are receiving so much because of him. Because it signified a massive shift from what was happening at the time, which was a law that was governing the religious lives of God's people. And that they had to do all the right things in order to gain God's pleasure. And Jesus signified this massive shift into what would be received. Today I want to tell you the story of Joseph. Now you don't know a whole lot about Joseph. Because we only read about Joseph in a very few number of places. We don't know a whole lot about who he was or what he did. We don't 
uh, know uh, what happened to him later in life. In fact, as we look through some of the primary events of Jesus' ministry, Joseph is absent in all of those stories. What we do know is that Joseph was a carpenter. Likely, his father was a carpenter as well because you didn't go to school and pick your degree and pick a a career that you wanted to follow. You were trained by your father to do whatever he did. So just as Joseph was trained to be a carpenter, he trained Jesus to be a carpenter. And if Jesus had had children in the Jewish tradition, he would have trained his children to also be carpenters. We do know that Joseph comes from a very rich heritage, a very rich line, if you will, a lineage that puts him squarely in the family of King David. In fact, if we read through some of the prophecy and what was being fulfilled when Jesus was born, if we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 31, it says, Behold, this is the announcement to Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now, David wasn't literally Joseph's father, but he did come from his line. He was the most significant person in that lineage. And the prophecy said that when the Messiah comes, he will come from the line of David. And so we know that Joseph follows within This line. Verse 33 says, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, if you are familiar at all with the Christmas story, you're familiar with Joseph. If you're familiar with Joseph's role in the Christmas story, you may, however, not be aware or have really thought through what does it look like for Joseph to to be this character. Now, we know through theology, we know through the story of his birth, and we know through the doctrines of who Jesus was, it was crucially important that the Messiah was born of an immaculate conception, a virgin birth. So if there is a virgin birth, the Father is not really necessary because God is the Father. And Mary becomes pregnant in a supernatural way that, guarantees a virgin birth that this was different like nothing that had ever happened before or would ever happen again. And you think, wow, that's amazing. But I, if you're a parent, I want you to put yourself in the, in the shoes of Joseph. What if this was your wife? And at this point, Joseph is not even married to Mary, but they are engaged See, the story of Joseph is a story of great sacrifice because Joseph had a decision to make at the very moment that he found out that his fiancée was pregnant. If you remember through the story, Mary finds out what's going on before Joseph does. Now imagine your fiancé comes to you and says... Bob, I don't know if anybody's in here named Bob. I don't think so. So we'll use Bob. Bob, I'm pregnant. I'm pretending to be Mary, by the way, if you can't tell. I'm pregnant. I promise I've not been with anybody else. God has given me a child miraculously. Now, what do you do 
if you are Bob? I want you to think about that, guys. What do you do if you're Bob? See, if I'm Bob, Bob is not very happy. Bob is also not believing Mary. Bob is questioning if this is true. Bob is thinking, you're trying to pull something over on me. And Bob is not real thrilled about the life that he had planned for himself that is now unfolding in a different way in front of his eyes. Have you either consciously, subconsciously thought about the life that you think you're going to live from this day forward? You see, all of us do it. We all think we know what our lives are going to look like. I think I know what my life's going to look like for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. I hope it doesn't go beyond 40 years because I'll be ready for heaven by then. But I have a plan for that time. You have a plan in some way to get from here to there. Now, the younger you are, perhaps the more detailed or maybe the less detailed your plan is. I want to get a job. That's a plan. It's not a very detailed plan, but it is a plan. I want to have a family. That's a plan. It's not a real detailed plan, but it is a plan. As you get older, you recognize that if you are going to realize your plans, you have to focus on the details or the plan will never come together. I'm still trying to get to the place where Deidre is so successful that I can retire early And I can stay at home and catch up on all the TV shows and then let her know what happened when she comes home from work. I'll let you know. Josh is on board with my plan. Now, I don't have many details to that plan, so I don't have real high hopes that that is actually going to play out. But we all have plans, but we recognize the older we get, we need to really think through all the pieces of that plan for it to come true. In other words, we want to tell a story with our lives and we know what we want the ending to be, but do we know how we're going to get there? Joseph knew the story he wanted to tell. He found someone he wanted to spend the rest of his life with, Mary. Now with Mary, what we know is that Joseph, while coming from the lineage of David, was not someone who was all that wealthy. He didn't get any of the treasure. It didn't get passed down from generation to generation to him. But he did find somebody special. Now, in the Jewish, 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 is that a word? In the Jewish culture, marriage was very different than it is for us in this world and in this culture. See, when you got engaged, if you get engaged here, it's like it really doesn't count. It's like the pre-party. It's the thing that allows you to have wedding showers, right? It's whenever you go and you get a photographer and you get uh, someone to do the wedding and you begin planning and you plan for the honeymoon. And if things don't work out, you just say, you know what's not working out? And you go your separate ways and somehow figure out what to do with all the wedding gifts. I don't know. But an engagement today... It's just kind of a pre-thing. It's, it's, there's nothing really committed to it. You may get a ring or you may make some promises or if you're really wealthy and maybe you do a prenup. I don't know, but an engagement really doesn't mean all that much. You can enter into an engagement without any legal documentation. You can break an engagement without any legal intervention. But that is not the way that it works in a Jewish culture, nor for Joseph when he's found the woman he wants to be with, the woman of his dreams. I imagine Mary was a pretty phenomenal woman for God to choose her to raise his son. 
I'm sure Joseph felt the same way. So for Joseph, he had asked her to marry him. She has said yes. And in this culture, they are at that point legally bound to each other. They are, for all intents and purposes, married in every way except they will not live together and they will not sleep together. They will not do those things until they have had the official wedding ceremony. At this point, if you're engaged in the Jewish culture and you decide this is not working out and one way that it was guaranteed not to work out was in the event of adultery by one of the parties, you literally had to go get a divorce from your engagement. So everybody would have known Joseph and Mary, they're together. Joseph and Mary, they're a couple. While they hadn't been through the ceremony, which means they weren't living together and they hadn't slept together, they were, for all intents and purposes, married. Now imagine... This is now what Joseph sees, what his heritage is going to be. Now, we can all look at some wedding photos and recognize this couple didn't wait, especially if there's a pregnant bride, right? There's some indications of pregnancy that cannot be covered up, and we have some in here today that can attest to that. It's uncomfortable. You begin to grow in strange places. You notice when somebody's pregnant. If you think somebody's pregnant, but you're not sure, you don't say a word. But there are a, there is a point along the way that it becomes inevitable this person is pregnant. You just don't gain weight that way. Now for Joseph, in a strictly Jewish culture, to be bound to a woman who was obvious she had broken the marital commitment of engagement would have meant that he would have been looked down upon had he stayed with her. Now, it's not like our culture where we've got church and we've got kind of the world and a lot of people that kind of partake in both, but there's real, a lot of times there's really no difference in the lives of those people. In a Jewish culture, very much, if you were not following those principles, if you're not following the laws, if you're not following the teachings that have been handed down through Scripture, everyone notices And people will say something. So I want you to imagine as we go through the story, Joseph is a man who is going to have to sacrifice something to fulfill the role that God was going to call him to. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph or engaged before they came together, which means before they slept together, She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. It was noticeable. She was pregnant. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, being a just man, what that means is Joseph followed the rules. He followed all the rules that he was supposed to follow. People recognize this about Joseph. Joseph had a reputation, and his reputation was stellar. 
People knew that Joseph was a man of God. Joseph was a man who would do what was right. Joseph would never break the law. Joseph was going to be someone you could count on to follow the teachings that had been passed along. His reputation was intact, and that gave him great standing among the people in which he lived. Because he followed God. Joseph had a reputation That reputation was noticed by others. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Because remember, you have to get divorced from engagement just like today you do from marriage. And because he was a just man and because he no doubt loved Mary, he chose not to shame her publicly, but to quietly let it go. Now, he would have done this because he had been taught throughout his life that if you're going to follow God and you are engaged or betrothed to someone and they commit adultery during that period of time, you were to divorce them. You were not to go through with that marriage. No matter how great they were, you needed to walk away. And you can imagine that wasn't a very difficult decision to make after you would have been hurt so deeply. But Joseph, being a just man, no doubtful of mercy and grace because he had followed the heart of God, he was a just man, chose not to take it in front of everybody. Now, if your reputation was at stake, your standing in the community depended upon how you followed the teachings of Scripture, it would make sense that you would want to stand from the mountaintop and say, it wasn't me. I didn't do this. It's not my fault. This was her. I have stayed true to the faith. I have stayed true to purity. I have not followed this. And therefore, he could have protected his reputation. And yet still he loved her and decided, I must follow through with what I'm supposed to do, which is divorce her. But I'm not going to shame her. I'm just going to do it quietly. This is what's happening about around the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is a miraculous thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's going to usher in a change in the age of the way that we gain salvation. Whereas instead of having to be able to sacrifice and be able to follow the law, we could by grace and by faith, we could be loved and know Christ. And we could be saved by him. That was what was coming. That's what we focus on in Christmas. But what I want you to see in, in this story is that if you're going to follow God, there are going to be times that while God is calling you to something significantly wonderful, he may ask you to sacrifice something severely in order to follow through. For Joseph, he would have to sacrifice his reputation And he wasn't willing to do that. Even though she said, this is what God has done to me. So, let's pick up with the story. Verse 20 says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from, his sin, from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
So he has a vision, a dream, where an angel comes to him and says, no, what she's saying is true. Now, this is where we would say Joseph receives his calling. Now, my guess is, is that none of you are going to ever receive the calling that Joseph has. At least scripture tells us you will never have a time in which you will need to have another immaculate conception like this. There's no need for that. But he had a calling. You will have a calling within your life and you will at some point or another have to decide whether to pursue the calling or whether to give up. Because the sacrifice for you may be too great. In this story of Joseph, what was coming would change all of eternity, but yet it was going to cost him the life he had always thought he wanted. So what does he do? Verse 23, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, which means he still didn't sleep with her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In the end, Joseph decided to follow God's call instead of protecting his reputation. He chose that call over his reputation. Now, what that meant was that Joseph most likely lost friends. It means that Joseph most likely lost his standing as a just man, not before God, but before the community. Because the community didn't see this. They didn't validate this. They didn't all go have a party because now the Messiah has been born through this virgin birth. That's not the way it happened. Job opportunities he would have had would have dried up because they would have looked at him as someone who was not faithful to God's word, which was crucial in the community. Whenever they would tell the story, if they told the story, no one would believe them. Because the angel didn't appear to all of the rest of the community. It only appeared to a very small few people. Joseph gave up a lot in order to follow the calling that God put on his life. Now, we could go down a road and just begin to think about, well, what if Joseph had said no? But Joseph didn't say no. My guess is God chose Joseph and Mary because he knew Joseph wouldn't say no. Now, here's the great irony in this story. The great irony is, is that Joseph would have lost his standing as a just man, that he was close with God, maybe even that he loved God, and yet he was given the greatest calling of any man who would ever come out of that community by God. Do you ever feel like God has instructed you to do something? That in order for you to do it means you are going to sacrifice your reputation with the people around you? Do you ever feel like there's a choice you have to make that if you make that choice, people are not going to stand up and pat you on the back, but instead they're going to say things about you that may or may not be true, but they know are hurtful? Has there ever been a time where you so clearly heard God speak to you and say, this is what I want for you. This is the direction I want you to go. And you know that if you go there, no one will understand. No one in the church will understand. No one who you in your family will understand. They won't understand, but you know this is what God is calling you to. See, that's the story of Joseph. 
A man who was so just that he was willing to sacrifice all those things because he loved God and God called him. You will, if you haven't, be in this place at some point. You will have to make a decision that will not make sense to people around you. And you will have to live with the consequences. See, many of the rewards and blessings that we receive from God have nothing to do with this life that we live in. And so just because we choose to follow him doesn't mean all of a sudden he fixes all the collateral consequences of a decision to follow him. He very often lets those play out just as the world plays out. The truth is you'll have to choose to follow God's call among great criticism from people who just don't understand. If you are not okay with criticism, it's going to be very difficult to follow God, especially in this age that we're, we're stepping into right now. As Christians are being criticized in mass. If you're not able to live through criticism, it's going to be very difficult to follow God. You're going to have to learn how to deal with it. That is going to be a part of it. But I want you to know when God calls, that the calling of God demonstrates his love for you. See, it would be very easy to, to be thinking, even if you're a third party, an outside observer, looking at this story thinking, Joseph, what have you done to make God mad that he would put you in this position? But God's call is never about God wanting you to suffer, even though suffering is often a part of the call. Instead, God calls you because God loves you. And when you're put in those almost difficult positions, almost impossible positions, God, how do I do this? My friends, they, they won't even want to be around me. If, I, if, if I'm not willing to show up and do the things they're doing, they'll have nothing. I will be alone. God's call is not because he wants you to be alone. God's call is because he loves you. The calling of God also, it demonstrates the faithfulness of God to you. Can you imagine if God never called anybody to anything? What if we weren't good enough to follow through with his work in this world? What if we weren't good enough to be entrusted with sharing the gospel? What if we weren't worthy to have any interaction with God in any way and he would never ask anything of us because we would never have any value in his eyes. Calling of God demonstrates the faithfulness of God and ultimately you, you, every one of you are called by God. Now, some of you who come up in the church, you, you think of calling, you think of like the called people. You think of like pastors and then the really spiritual ones are the missionaries that go to these, you know, far off places. Those are called. I'm not called. I flip burgers. How can I be called? I have flipped burgers, by the way. I've done all kinds of stuff I don't really like doing. But I was called. As you sit here, if you know Christ, you are 
called. Every one of us is called. Not all of us have the same calling, but you are called. If you're a follower of Jesus, understand God is working in the situation around you that he wants you to be involved with. You are called to partner with him in changing the world around you, even if nobody sees that change as a positive thing. You are called. Every one of you are called. You don't have to have a high enough income. You don't have to be good enough at whatever skill you think you need to be good at. You are called, and the only thing you need is the Holy Spirit. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you already have that. You are called. So many times it is so difficult to follow through with that calling when we feel like it's going to cost us something. To do it, I want you to imagine that the God of all creation is inviting you to be a part of His story. His story. See, commercials like Happy Thanksgiving, that is a story told by those who really don't care what you have, only what you're willing to give in order to get it. They don't care about your life. They don't care what it costs. They don't care if your electricity gets shut off, but your tablet stays charged. They don't care. All they care about is getting your dollar. Verizon doesn't care about Thanksgiving. I'm not saying that no one at Verizon is thankful. I'm not saying that no one at Verizon is, is a Christian. But I'm saying this marketing plan has no intention of anything having to do with your relationship with God. It is all about their relationship with your money. That's what Happy Thanksgiving is about. You have to choose the story you're going to be a part of. Now, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, Verizon sells some stuff I'd like to get. They've got some nice stuff. And I like to have that stuff. And I'm the kind of person that even once I get, when I get a new shiny stuff, uh, it, the shine wears off pretty quickly. And then other things look shiny as well. And I'd like to get that stuff too. I like stuff. I like getting stuff. You ask, ask Deidre. I'm a fan of getting stuff. I love shopping for stuff. In fact, one of the most disappointing moments for me is when I actually buy stuff because I love shopping for it so much. Now, not all things. You know what I went shopping for on Black Friday? A humidifier. That was exciting. <clears throat> when I would stop, you know, stop someone walking through the, the hallway and I, I'm, I'm, to ask them a question, I'm sure they, they think I want to know where the low-cost TVs are. Just where's your humidifier? They look at me like, what? You realize it's Black Friday, right? But I do like stuff. You have to choose. I have to choose the story by which I'm going to live my life by. And there are a lot of people who make a lot of money trying to sell a story on me that really isn't about me. It's about them. But I buy into it because they market it so well that it sounds like it's for me. I want you to imagine that the God of all creation is inviting you to be a part of his story, to redeem the world, to live a life of purpose. To be certain not only of your future, but to be certain of your present. I wonder how many of us would give everything we have just to be certain about our future. Because we're so uncertain, it's just, it leads to so much anxiety. To carry his yoke. And the most wonderful thing about carrying his yoke is that he helps us carry it. 
You don't have to do it on your own to know him. And ultimately, when God calls you into his story, that means you will never be alone, even if the people around you begin to distance themselves from you. The truth is, you will have to choose to follow God's call. But great criticism from people who just don't understand. You will have to make that choice. You will have to make that choice at every stage of your life. You will have to make that choice from the time that you're a child until the time that you die of an old, ripe old age. You will have to choose constantly. We cannot serve God and serve the world. The two are diametrically opposed to one another. First John chapter 2 says this, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We have to choose. Now, it has become popular to say you really don't have to choose. You really can have both the best of both worlds. But Jesus always said that is impossible. Every teaching in Scripture says if you want to pursue the things of the world, you cannot pursue the things of God. And for all those that are trying to live with a foot in each world, they live frustrated lives wondering if God really exists because they've got a foot over here pulling them away from him. And they blame it on God. We have to choose who we are going to serve. We have to choose who we're going to be a part of. We've got to choose the story that is going to dominate our lives. Joshua 24 is a great story where he says this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us. That we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us all in the way we went. And among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. When we read those Old Testament verses, we think, yeah, but that's talking about them. That's not really talking about us. Let me ask you this, and I want feedback. Who are our gods today? Who are they? What are they? Money? Phone? What are our gods? Data plan. What? Insters? Instagram. Is that called insters? Is that a new word? Man, I'm so out of touch. Insters. Did anybody else know that? I did. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You didn't know that. All right. What else? What are some other gods that we serve? Facebook? Likes. Oh, likes. That's so good. Did I get retweeted? Do I have likes? Yeah. What else? Pop stars? Presents. Well, there are lots of gods. Now, I like presents. That doesn't mean a present is a god. I like my phone. Doesn't mean God, no, the phone is necessarily my god. Sometimes it is. 
I need to repent. We have lots of gods. Some of the gods that are dominating our, us today are not things that can be built necessarily in idle form because the things we worship, that's where our priorities are. That's where our focus is. That's where our hearts are. And our hearts are being entertained. We want to be entertained. You see, the phone is just a phone. I mean, it can be used to help people all over the world or it can be used for terrible things. The phone is just a phone, but what it represents is our desire to be constantly entertained. What about our TVs? Our TV is always on. We constantly want to be entertained. Now, when you live in an existence in which you need to constantly be entertained, your focus is on guess who? You. I need to be entertained. Entertain me, great TV. You know, they said one of the most unsanitary things you will ever have in your possession is your phone. Why? Because you can't even go to the bathroom without it. Be honest. How many of you, if you need an extended trip to the bathroom, will go in there without your phone? A couple of you raise your hands. And my wife is saying, would you move on to another analogy? But it is true. And you don't wash your phone after terrible world we live in but we worship those things that allow us to stay wrapped up in ourselves in our own worlds we love entertainment i don't really don't think that it's any mystery that the number one item fought over on black friday is guess what A TV, a low-cost TV. How did we get to the point where we used to not even have TVs that now people will literally kill each other to save a 100 bucks on a bigger, shinier TV? Just think about that. All right, so, you know, we can't get by without showing a, a fight video. I got a video for you to see. This is Friday. Did you see that? You see that? Now watch what happens here. A little boy has a steamer. A lady comes over, yanks it out of his hands. The mother, who already has three, goes after her. So I got, hey, listen. When you can't sleep at night, you're willing to do just about anything to get a humidifier. How do we get to this? What What are the other behaviors that lead to this? What are the other things that lead to this? Addiction, desperation, greed. That's what leads to this. It's a steamer. How much is a steamer? Somebody tell me. I don't know. How much is a steamer? Like 50 bucks? You say, what, they sell like five ninety five on it? I don't know why you need a steamer either. But, uh, you know. But this is, this, is, this is my point. This is my point. I have a shiny TV in my house. So it, it, I, I, can't, I, I can't in all transparency and honesty tell you that I have so rejected the idea of entertainment that we don't do any entertainment in our house. We're bored more than you are. You know, I, can't, <laughs> I cannot say that. But the truth is, 
Oh, thanks. I don't know what you were laughing at. Well, all right. You can take that down. Thank you. That fire, by the way, was put there by Sean, not by me. Anyways. But, uh, yeah, he, he wanted me. I told him I was cold, and so we put a fire on my TV. So, anyways, all right. But what, what that video tells me is that we are, as a population, buying into a story. And the story is you deserve it, and you should do whatever you have to do to get it. Happy Thanksgiving, while Verizon is the first one to put it on a commercial, is the motive of most retailers through this season. Now, you are invited into a story that is going to require you to move in the opposite direction of getting. And if we look at the story of Joseph, what we find is a man who was willing to give up something that was valuable to him to follow the story that God wanted to tell. And so as we think through these stories, you need to think through, where are you in these things? Political correctness is the enemy's current weapon of choice in our world. If anything is true and it is offensive, truth is always offensive. If it is true and it can be shut down because someone doesn't want their feelings hurt, then you will stop sharing the truth. We will have to be willing to be criticized to follow the story that God wants to tell. Are you willing for the world to reject you knowing that God is calling you? I don't ask this lightly. I know what rejection feels like, and it doesn't feel good. Are you willing for the world to reject you? Are you willing for your friends that you spend so much time with? that pretend to care about you? You see that your true friends won't reject you. They will see what the story is that you're trying to live out. But there are others that will. Are you willing to leave those earthly dreams behind for more eternal dreams? See, as we come into Christmas, and we look at the whole story, We have to change the way we see ourselves. We have to change not just, it's not just about thinking about Jesus. It's also thinking about what, how is God working within us and in our world? Let me ask you another question. Are you willing to give up the future you always thought you wanted for the one that God's been writing since before you were born? You will have to give something up in order to live that story. And you may not be able to do it with the people you're surrounded with now. And all of this, whether it's to know God or whether it's to follow his calling, to follow God, in spite of what others say about you, requires humility. Because a lot of us, we get a lot of value by others saying nice things about us. And for us to make a decision that's going to cause them to criticize us means... That we're going to hurt, we're going to suffer, and we're not going to be seen in the light that we want to be seen. That's sacrifice. Sacrifice requires humility for something greater. 
John the Baptist is a great example of what it means to be humble. A great man who was known far and wide, who did many wonderful things, even baptized Jesus Christ himself. And yet, when it was time for Jesus to begin his public ministry, and it was time for him to be known, because there was a time when John and Jesus were both walking the world that John was much more popular and was listened to far more people than Jesus. And yet, as Jesus began... To really focus on his ministry, John 3.30 reports, and you've probably heard this before, John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Humility embraces the idea that if I have to decrease, I'm okay with that, because by me decreasing, he increases. It's huge. It's huge. God calls everyone who has faith in him to an eternal life with an eternal, eternal purpose. But will you choose to follow that purpose? Now, there are lots of ways that we can apply this. For some of you, when you go to work tomorrow, you're going to have the opportunity to jump right back into the same conversations that you left on either Wednesday or Friday or Saturday or even today. Some of you will go to work today. You have the opportunity to jump right back into those same conversations that don't honor God and don't honor anybody else. You're going to have an opportunity to pick apart what somebody is doing. You're going to have the opportunity to tear somebody up because that is what the group does. I know what it's like to to work in a group of people. We always do that because it makes us feel better about ourselves. You're going to have the opportunity to go back to your family and to focus on the same things you've always focused on or to say we are going to focus on something different. We're going to have that opportunity. Now, you guys that are in in high school and middle school, it is the hardest for you because this is the time you decide who you're going to be and how you're going to live. At uh, we're, We're new high schoolers. I mean, I'm not, but... We have our first high schooler in the family this year. Girls, you're going to go to school, and some of your peers are going to tell you the shorter, the better, the lower, the better. I'm going to tell you, that's not going to honor God. What it's going to do is it's going to destroy your opinion of yourself, and it's going to destroy the opinion of the people who you really care about as well. Because God has built in you more value than that. Guys, you're going to be around other guys, and it's going to be cool to talk about girls. It is cool to talk about girls, I'm not going to lie. (laughs) But you can do it in a way that honors them or in a way that dishonors them. You're going to be surrounded by guys who are going to dishonor girls, and they're going to grow up to be men who dishonor women. You do not need to follow in that way. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you choose to wear clothes that are not as short and as tight as possible, or if you choose to honor rather than dishonor other women, you are going to be rejected by people around you because that's the way the world works. Growing up is one of the most difficult times to make these decisions, but this is when you make those decisions. Now, some of us, we didn't make great decisions growing up, and now we are grown up. And the great, wonderful thing about grace is we can change. We can make a change. You can make a change until you draw your last breath. You can make a change. And when you do that, 
You are going to be rejected by the people around you. You're going to be criticized. You're going to be called, uh, uh, we called them goody two-shoes in school. What do y'all call them now? I don't know. I didn't know what insters were. So what do you call them? We call them goody two-shoes. I think uh, at middle school one time, it was goody-goody. Come up with those words. And that was just a bad thing. Of course, as a parent, I'm going, yes, yes, that's awesome. That's great. We want what we want you to be. But that's not the way it feels at school when they, when they say that. We have to make a choice. Here's what I want to leave with you. Joseph was willing to give up something precious to him for something far better. His standing, his reputation for others to look at him as a good guy following God because that is who he was. That was what he was doing. He had to give up the idea that anyone else saw that in order to follow the call that God put on his life. He wanted to do something far better, which was to be a part of the story God wanted to tell. If you choose God's calling, you've got to give up other people's opinions of yourself. You've got to focus on the opinion of the one that matters the most. And when you do that, the criticism loses its power over you. Can we do that? Are we willing to do that? This is, I, I want to read you a few verses just to close. Luke 6. Whenever people do reject us because we are following the teachings of God. When they do reject us, we then have to decide how to respond. It hurts. It makes us angry. Some of us don't deal with anger very well, and we, we shout out. And all the things that we wanted to do in following the calling of God backfire on us because our emotions take over and we get angry. Luke chapter 6, how do we deal with people who criticize us? But I say to you, who here love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either, give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back, and as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. This calling that God has placed in our lives, it goes against everything this world stands for because it wants to give this world everything that it doesn't have. As we enter into this Christmas season, some of you are going to go buy big shiny TVs. You know what? Hey, invite me over. Let's watch the Super Bowl. You know, go buy it. That's fine. But this Christmas story, this Christmas season, Which story will you be focused on? Will you be focused on the story God wants to tell that may put you at odds with the people around you? Or are you so enamored with being in with the people around you that you will ignore the story God wants to tell through your life? It's a decision we'll all make. You won't make it once. You won't just make it this moment and then never have to make it again. It's a decision you'll have to make every single day. But yet God has called us in a special way to work with him. For those of you here in the room, I I didn't see any fight videos from Chattanooga, so I'm hoping you all weren't in any of them. (laughs) I'm sure you weren't. But some of you I know are ready for a change. It is exhausting keeping up with the world. The rules change all the time. They don't make sense. 
you're in, then you're out. You're out, then you're in, and you're out again. People judge you no matter what. They criticize you even when you're doing things that are honorable. It's exhausting. I want to invite you to walk in the story that God wants to tell. It is going to cost you something. But in the end, what you are gaining is far greater than what you will give up. Once we see God at work in our lives, criticism begins to die. And the focus of our lives begins to become crystal clear. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the grace that even when we are making mistakes, even when we, uh, we do focus on the things of this world, you are constantly calling us back. Father, I pray that you would help us all just to be enthralled, to be overwhelmed, enveloped with your story. Father, give us discernment to see through the stories that are being told around us, the story the world wants us to know. Give us discernment to see through what's happening when we go to work and we go to school. Give us wisdom in knowing how to make decisions that honor you and are following in step with your teachings. Father, for those that are, are, are feeling lost, they're stuck, and they know with every part of their being they need to follow your call, but they are so fearful of what it's going to cost them. Lord, give them such great courage and trust and faith that you will fulfill it through them. Pray that you would help their eyes to be open, to see the world as you see it, to see the story that is true, that is going to last an eternity, not these small, insignificant stories that are passing away. I pray for those that are so wrapped up in this season of getting that they miss the opportunity to be a part of a season of giving where their hearts, instead of continually growing empty, can be full beyond compare. Pray for those that are going to have to make some hard decisions to follow you, and it's going to mean that the people that they've been hanging out with are going to reject them. I pray that you would give them strength and a confidence that hey, this is the beginning of something wonderful. Those people that will reject you for following the teachings of Christ are, are not the people that are ever going to be with you long term in your life, that ever give you purpose or hope, ever cry with you as, as you are sorrowful, ever be joyful with you unless you're giving something to them. Father, help us to follow you. Help us to know you, to see you. Help us to give. Help us to be a part of your story, just as Joseph was willing to be a part. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.